Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 17. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Who will stand? 
stop to ask, what must I do? What should I do about this? And I hope that at least, you know, for right here and right now, we can at least take a couple of passages and look at them and ask the question, what must I do? Because we're actually going to see that question being asked a few different times in the passages that we look at. You know, what should we do? What must I do? What should I do? Well, what would be your answer if you needed to give an answer for that? Let's take a look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. Now in Zephaniah chapter 3, this is actually what we uh, what we looked at just a while ago and was read uh, before us, but I want you to notice something about the structure, and I've tried to sort of put it on this slide to where you could follow it a little bit more easily, and this is this, this neat little structure that is coming to a certain point. If you notice, it has these letters A, B, C, D, and then it goes down to E, and then it goes backwards again from the D all the way back to the A. And each one of these lines, they relate with this other one that came before it. And at the heart of it all, the message that we see at the very center of it is verse 16, the very beginning of that, is that on that day they will say to Jerusalem. So on that day, what day are we looking at? You know, we're looking at this time whenever the Lord comes, whenever the Lord visits. This is what the book of Zephaniah is talking about. In fact, the book of Zephaniah is kind of interesting because it starts off kind of negatively, a, a bit of, of judgment that's coming upon these people. But then by the time you get to chapter 3, you see that God is not going to just leave them. He's not going to abandon them. He cares a great deal about his people Israel. He cares so much about them that he's going to visit them and he's going to provide a way to fix all these mistakes, all of these problems, all the, the things that are messed up uh, in their world. So as you look at this message, at the center of it is on that day. Well, what's going to happen? Well, on that day, we see going from A all the way up to E, we see the, the call to rejoice, the call to shout out, to be excited about these things, to rejoice about what the Lord is doing. Because we also kind of, as we move closer, the reason is that the Lord is a mighty warrior. He is the one who will protect them. That, that's the, the promises that he's given. And we also see that even moving a little bit further beyond that, we see that God is with them. He, he's been giving this problem, this, this promise, sorry, to their problem is that he's going to be with them. And to do not fear, do not fear when, do not fear on that day, because the Lord is with them. We see that he is a mighty warrior. He's going to protect them. And because of all these things, they need to rejoice. And you see this wonderful message. And I hope that we can learn that message too. And I also hope that we, through the, the eyes of faith, can see that this passage among so many of the prophets is speaking about a time whenever Jesus is going to come. Whenever he's going to come, he's going to be the answer to our problems. He's going to be the solution. He's, he's going to be the one who allows all these things to take place. And this passage, after it's speaking about all these, and which, by the way, in case you 
uh, maybe kind of missed some of it before. I'm, now I'm just going to read the whole thing together after I've already given you an outline of it. Verses 14 through 17 of Zephaniah 3. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And this passage in Zephaniah 3, it goes on in the next few verses. Verses 18 through 20 now. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. See, in this passage, we see this, this ultimate fulfillment. We see what the prophets were full. Uh, we're speaking about is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus's day. Whenever Jesus came, he is the one who allowed all these things to be accomplished. And you know, last Sunday, what we looked at is kind of the, the part that we play in this is that we need to be prepared for what God is doing. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. Uh, he was preparing the way for the Lord. He was preparing the hearts of the people for the Lord. And let's go back again and, and revisit some of the message that John was proclaiming because, you know, there's a few different ways that, that John shows up throughout the Gospels. And in Luke chapter 3, we see a very interesting um, kind of portrayal of him. And this is where we get to the question, what must I do? You know, what should I do? In Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, by the way, let's pause right here. I want to tell you a few things, you know, about this because it's so important to to understand, you know, and to ask questions. Who is he talking to? You know, who is John talking to right here? Well, I don't think it's by accident that he words he uses this word for crowds. You know, there's a few different ways, and I'll kind of I'll demonstrate this in English. You know, instead of saying crowds, we could say, oh, uh, there was a group of people or there was a multitude. Uh, you know, we can we can say different words for that. We could call them a group. We could call them a multitude. But right here, we see that it's it's crowds, which, by the way, if you look at the word that uh, that is used right here in Luke three, this is the same word that is used whenever they come to arrest Jesus. It was a crowd who was coming to arrest him. Now, I don't think that's by accident because I believe that a lot of people who were in this crowd, while not everybody was bad, of course, I do think that a lot of people who were in this crowd were just there to kind of just see what's going on. Otherwise, why would John make the statements that he makes? Well, let's read the statements that he makes. John said, going back now, verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit and keep in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. 
Now let's pause right there because that's a question that I want us to get at is, is, is asked by the crowd in verse 10. But let's make sure that we're, we're following this. The thing that John is calling for and the thing that John has always called for is repentance. He says, look, you got to bear fruit in keeping re re with repentance. It's great that you say you've repented, but have you actually repented? You know, your actions are going to show a lot about what you, what you actually believe. Now, I don't know if you thought too much about this, but the way that you respond to things, the way that you act, the way that you interact with people, it all comes back and it's kind of a reflection of the things that you believe, whether or not you truly have repented of your former life and if you're actually walking in the light and if you're actually trying to follow God. He says to these people who are Israelites, he says, don't just say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. He says, don't just lean on that. That's not enough any longer. He's telling them that they must repent. He uses the, the image of stones, but he also uses the image about that the axe is already at the root of the trees. You've got to produce fruit. You've got to do something good. Now, I also kind of want to point this out uh, about who John is talking to, because we can perhaps read this. And, and if we are someone who is trying our best to produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance, and if we're trying to follow Jesus and trying to do what's right, then we don't need to be looking at these statements that John makes to the crowds and feel bad about ourselves. Instead, perhaps just be reminded of what your past has been like, all the while paying attention to make sure, okay, is there something that I do need to change? Do I need to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying through John right here? Because maybe he is speaking to us today. Even if we think that we've repented and if we think that we're doing what's right, maybe there's still something else that we need to listen to and that we need to maybe change in our lives. Always be, be paying attention for that. But at the same time, don't make passages like this make you feel bad if you are genuinely trying to do what God is wanting you to do. Because the people that he's talking with are people who, obviously, for the way that John speaks to them at least, they're not people who are producing fruit in keeping with repentance. He's getting on to them about that and saying, you've got to do better. You can't just rely upon your history. You've got to be involved in it right here, right now. So as we read passages like this and continue to see what John is saying, don't be discouraged, be encouraged. And maybe be reminded of your past and also perhaps think, who do I need to share this message with so that they can change just like I have changed? Now, I'll also point out one more thing before we keep reading. Another thing that's connected with John is he's out there and he's proclaiming baptism. While baptism doesn't show up in verses 7 through 10 just yet, it's going to show up in the passages we're going to look at today. And it's also already been showing up because that was a big part of John's ministry is he was baptizing people. And he was baptizing Jewish people, which is very interesting because, you know, the Jews of, of Jesus' day, as, as I understand it at least, they would have seen baptism as something that, yes, okay, that could be something that is, it's representative of a fresh start. It's kind of like passing through the waters, like whenever they came through the, the Red Sea, whenever they crossed the Red Sea, going through the waters and being renewed and having this fresh start on the other side. And they would perhaps even require this of, of Gentiles. But to require it of Gentiles is one thing. To require it of Israelites is another. What does Israel need to repent of? John says... A lot, actually. They need to change. They need to get their act together. They need to make sure they're not relying upon their past, but are presently engaged in what's going on and what God is doing. 
So they have this question, what should we do? And it's a great question for us to ask today, and I want us to kind of read this and listen to John's message, and perhaps also listen to what John would be saying to us if he were speaking to us today. Now, he's not exactly speaking to us. He's speaking to this crowd. But I think we can figure out some things that he would be saying to us right here and right now. And perhaps that's a good thing for us to do is to reflect on what this message would be like today. And what do we need to hear from this message? What do we need to gain from it? Let's continue on now. Now, I'm going to be reading verse 10 again because it sets the, uh, the stage. Going on down to verse 14 of Luke 3. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Let's pause right here. Now, I've already been looking and getting us to think, okay, so who is John talking about? Who's this audience? Who's this crowd? Well, we see that he speaks to three different categories, and I put them on, a, on the screen to kind of help us a little bit. I put them in bold and underline. Verse 11, verse 12, and then verse 14. We see at first he's addressing anyone, okay, specifically anyone who has two shirts or anyone who has food. Okay, he's addressing anyone who fits those categories. Then he also is addressing tax collectors, and he's addressing, he is addressing soldiers. So let's keep those things in mind as we listen to them. But we can also learn that he is tailoring these messages to these individual people. He cares about their needs and he cares about their questions because they want to know, well, what should we do? And he doesn't leave them in the dark about it. He specifically says, okay, you want to know what to do? Let's do something about it. Let's actually do something. Okay, so before we kind of get into what John is saying, let's spend just a little bit of time on looking at what is John not saying? Because it's not just about what he is saying, it's also about what he is not saying. Um, I do not believe that John here is telling us that we must be broke in order to follow God. He's not saying that you just got to get rid of all of your shirts and that you have to uh, also be able to get rid of all of your food. I don't believe that's what he's really saying. There's reasons for that and we'll kind of take a look in, in a little bit, but I don't believe that's what he's telling uh, this anyone group from verse 11. Also notice what he is not telling the tax collectors and the soldiers. He is not telling them that they must quit their job. Now, we as Christians, there might be some jobs, just like there could have been some jobs that uh, that would have been available during John's day, in which, yeah, you really, there's no good from it. And perhaps you might need to quit that job. However, a tax collector and a soldier, those were not the jobs that they needed to be quitting. The tax collector did not need to quit. The soldier did not need to quit his jobs. Now, to us, we might think, okay, big deal. Keep in mind, who would have been paying the tax collectors? Who would have been paying the soldiers? We see this goes into kind of these, these governments. Now, the Roman government is what it would ultimately come back to right here. And the Roman government did have a lot of corruption in it. I mean, it's, it's not by accident that even today, we kind of oftentimes associate politicians with some questionable uh, things that happen. That doesn't mean all politicians are like that. It just means that sometimes when people get power in government, sometimes that power can corrupt them. But, you know, just because these tax collectors and just because these soldiers are serving the system, so to speak, the governmental system, 
It doesn't mean that they need to stop that, because after all, Paul and, and others in the Bible, they speak about those systems, the government systems, as being ministers of God even. That order is an important thing in the world. So they didn't need to quit their job, but there were some things that they needed to do, okay? So now let's focus on what is John saying? So, so what does he actually say right here? Well, this first thing in, in 11, he's speaking to someone who has two shirts. Now let's face it, I, I'm just going to assume that pretty well anybody who watches this video has at least two shirts. Okay, I just I just kind of assume that. And I mean, most of the time that's going to be the case. And, and most people who watch this video, they're going to have food. So is he actually speaking to somebody who has you know, two shirts? Is he speaking to anybody who has food? I believe it, it goes deeper than that. What he's speaking about and the type of shirts that he's talking about, the type of food that he's talking about is, and the, the whole thing that he mentions right here is, he has a deep concern, John does, because it's guided by the Holy Spirit in, in the pages of the Bible. But he has a deep care for those people who are in need. So if you find yourself as somebody who has some extra things, like an extra shirt, or if you have some extra food, or in our case, let's face it, most of the time it's extra money that we might have. <laughs> uh, of course, I say that extra money as if you know we, we think about it like that, but I mean, let's be honest, there are some things that maybe we can kind of give up over here in order to have a little bit more money over here to give to people who are in need. Now, this is perhaps a message that all of us need to listen to, myself included, and we need to ask, okay, are we doing this? Are we fitting this? Because it's not just about necessarily the two shirts or about the food. It, not exactly. It's more than that. Are we caring for those people who are in need? Now, it's not by accident that some of these, these statements that are being made right here and even some of these questions, it's very similar to what we read about in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? On the day of Pentecost. Because in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, they also ask the same question, what should we do then? And their answer is in many ways similar to what John gives. And their response to that message is very similar to what they did, didn't they? Because they shared everything that they had in common. They shared their shirts, they shared their food, they shared everything. Perhaps there's a lesson that the church of today needs to learn from that as well. So let's listen to that part, because I think there is something we can hear. Let's also notice something else that John is saying. Something that John is saying to the tax collectors and the soldiers, which by, well, a lot of... Jewish people would have kind of looked down upon those two groups, would have thought about them as, well, they're just kind of selling out and they're, they're going to the, the Romans. But what he tells to those two groups of people is, do your job. You know, he doesn't tell them to quit their job. He tells them, do your job. But he also tells them, while you do your job, make sure that you treat people right. To the tax collectors, he says in verse 13, don't collect more than what you have to. And then in verse 14, he tells the soldiers, he says, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All of these things comes down to how we treat people. We need to treat people right. So at the heart of it all, what do we need to do? At the heart of what John is saying, what do we need to listen to? And what does this speak to us? Now, you're likely not really a tax collector or a soldier. Maybe some of you listening are. And if you are, okay, maybe this applies even a little bit more to you specifically. But you might not be a tax collector. You might not be a soldier. You're probably not. But you can still listen to this message. This message is that we need to care for those people in need and we need to treat people right. That's what it means about being part of this kingdom of God, being part of a, a follower of God. 
And then as this passage goes on in Luke chapter 3, we read verses 15 through 18. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people, exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is at the heart of what John was proclaiming. See, people, whenever they listened to John, they started wondering, is he the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not the Messiah. Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. There's no doubt at all about that. We also see that even in this passage, we see that he's speaking about the same thing, that, you know, look, there's one who's more powerful than John. There's one who's more powerful than, uh, than the other prophets that we've even looked at uh, in this video as well, who prophesied about the coming Messiah. The Messiah is the one who came into the world to help fix what was wrong in the world. Are there things that are still messed up? Yes, we see them, we know them, we experience them from time to time. But we also know that the Messiah is not entirely done with all of his work just yet. We know that there's still more that he's going to do. He's started it, he most certainly has gotten the ball rolling and it's been a snowball ever since. And it just, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've experienced these things personally. You know what I'm speaking of. Jesus is the Messiah. It's not John. He was a great guy. He was a wonderful prophet, as well as so many of the other prophets. But they were servants of God. The Messiah, he himself was God. He himself is God. Jesus is. And Jesus, and even what John was proclaiming right here, it goes back to this baptism again. We've, we've seen baptism at the heart of what John is speaking about, and it is very important. This baptism, as I've mentioned earlier, it does represent a fresh start. And now it can even represent new life in Christ. Death to the old life, buried with Christ in baptism, and we are raised to walk in a newness of life. I hope that we can, we can see what all is going on here and, and what's at the heart of this good news, this gospel message about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who's more powerful than John, the one who is more powerful than you, the one who is more powerful than me. John was pointing the way. He was preparing the way preparing the way in his own life, preparing the way for the crowds who are listening. And I hope that we can listen closely to what John is saying. In fact, I'm going to ask it this way. Can we listen to John's words? Maybe realize that if he were to speak to us specifically today, it might be a little different. But can we still listen to the words and can we get the message about what he's saying? And can we also ask and in response, what must I do? What should I do about all this? And then most importantly, let's step up and do it. Will you do something about it today? Will you listen to what John is saying? Will you listen to what the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is saying? Will you listen and will you follow what God is saying? Yeah.
Thank you.